Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash. And you're listening to episode 221 of Chat Disney. So welcome back to another Chat Disney episode. It's my birthday today. I've just realised as I look at the date of which this episode goes out. And today uh, we're actually not talking about my favourite Disney classic. We're talking about one of Tash's, which is The Little Mermaid. Obviously the live action Little Mermaid is now in cinemas globally. So not only are we going to be talking about the original animated classic, we're also going to be giving a full movie review of the new live action version as well. Very, very exciting. But before we head into all of that, let's have a quick look at what has been happening in the world of Disney this week. So kicking things off with Disneyland Paris, and I definitely feel like a broken record right now, more strike action took place in Disneyland Paris last week. So on Tuesday the 30th of May, there was a huge march on Central Plaza, which also meant that there was a cancellation of the Dream and Shine Brighter 30th Parade. Very sad, because I particularly like that one. There were cast members seen chanting, the parade is us in French. Disney have also put out an announcement since then, and this was ahead of the strikes that took place on Saturday the 3rd of June, stating that they were going to be implementing some flexible conditions for guests which is absolutely fantastic it's great to see that Disney are responding to the strikes and giving guests the flexibility to change their trip so that they can avoid these dates they basically said that for anyone that was traveling on Saturday the 3rd of June they had the option of postponing their visit to a later date they could either reschedule the tickets or refund them completely and for anyone that had a non-dated ticket they could move that on 10 a.m on Saturday the 3rd of June as long as they moved it before 10am then there wasn't a problem so as I say really sad that this strike action is still continuing but great that Disney are responding to it and giving their guests flexibility a little bit more positive news for Disneyland Paris it is pride month globally it is now June very very exciting and in celebration of this the Disneyland Paris Mickey planter at the entrance of the main park has now been updated and features a beautiful landscaped rainbow background Lovely, I love a themed planter. And heading over to Shanghai Disneyland, and they have made the decision to ban wagons and carts. And these are, you've probably seen them on social media, they're like big, massive, kind of wooden carts, <laughs> does what it says on the tin, that people use to put their children into the park as an alternative to strollers. And there has been a lot of controversy around these in the past at some of the other parks because they do take up a lot of room. I've seen people complaining that they've been caught, sort of caught on the back of their ankles with them. So yeah, I don't know if any of the other parks have banned these at the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is something we see rolled out across the rest of the Disney parks. Mm, absolutely, we'll watch this space. And talking of other Disney parks and Walt Disney World news, and in keeping with today's topic, the live action Ariel is now available to meet and greet with in Disney's Hollywood Studios. And much controversy has come around this people saying oh you know you can't get rid of the original they haven't done that so Disney have kept the original animated version of Ariel uh, meet and greet available at Ariel's Grotto in the Magic Kingdom that hasn't gone anywhere that's still in Fantasyland and the way that they've differentiated between the two meet and greets is by adding a subline of text on the Genie app so for the live action Ariel in Hollywood Studios it says 
from the um, live action story. And then next to the classic Ariel over in the main castle park, there's a line of text that says from the animated story. So they have differentiated between the two. We've just got an extra meet and greet and we're never gonna dispute an extra meet and greet. So this is not a replacement, it's an addition. Very cool stuff. And really exciting, we announced obviously the Disney dining plan is back in Walt Disney World. We haven't seen it since before the pandemic. So this is really, really exciting. And now it's available to purchase, which means not only have we got a full list of participating restaurants and the confirmation that alcoholic beverages are included for guests over the age of 21, we also know the pricing, which is very curious indeed. So the dining plan was so, so popular last week when it went on sale that Disney actually had to halt sales of the dining plan just 20 minutes after it opened because of the volume. So we're really not being dramatic when we say that this dining plan is much anticipated. Now, for those of you listening in the UK that are considering purchasing a Disney dining plan for your next Walt Disney World trip, it's really important to remember that you have to purchase it for every person in your party for every single day that you're on site so you can't go for two weeks and say hey we'll just have the dining plan for a week it doesn't work that way if you're there for 14 days you are committed to the dining plan for 14 days with that in mind if you're going for the full dining plan which is one table service meal and one quick dine you're looking at 77.99 pounds per adult per day and if you're looking at the quick dine option, which is two quick dine meals per day, you're looking at £47.99 per adult per day. So basically £78 versus £48. I did a bit of quick maths. Most of us in the UK tend to go for 14 days. This means that if you are going for 14 days and staying on site at a Disney hotel, if you are purchasing the full plan, it's going to set you back £1,091 per adult. If you go for the quick dine option, it's going to be £641 per adult. I actually think that quick dine price is really good. I know £1,000 sounds like a lot. My husband and I definitely spent more than £1,000 each on food when we were at Disney for two weeks. So make of that what you will. It is a lot of money, but I think that there are savings to be made. Definitely. I think the £640 or whatever it was for the quick dine is a bit of a steal, really. I think that's really, really good if you don't want to go the whole hog and pay £1,000 per head. And finally, finishing off today with some Disneyland news. And Splash Mountain has officially closed. And queues to ride the attraction were very long, but they didn't quite reach the lengths of the final day queues at Walt Disney World. And Tony Baxter did attend the event as well. And he was, of course, the Imagineer that oversaw the construction of Splash Mountain. So it's lovely that he was there to ride one final time. And finally, the male fairy godmother's apprentices have gone viral. So we spoke about these uh, quite a while ago, I think, on the Chat Disney podcast now. Um, and someone, I believe, I'm not on TikTok, but someone posted a video to TikTok of one of the male apprentices. And a lot of people started commenting on it with negative comments saying that, um, I think I read one that someone had said 
that he had taken the job away from females who could have had the job instead, which is just not the sort of thing that we want to see when it comes to Disney. We fully support having the Godmother's Apprentice. I personally think this guy looked like he was doing an amazing job. And of course, there was a lot of people that came out in support as well. But there's always going to be people with negative opinions and calling to boycott Disney and things like that. So less of that negativity, please. And that concludes everything that's been happening in the world of Disney this week. We're now going to move on to the main part of the episode, talking all about The Little Mermaid. Now, I kind of set this up at the beginning. The Little Mermaid, Tash, I know Ariel is joint first for you as your favourite Disney princess, Am I right in thinking that The Little Mermaid is also a joint favourite movie? You are, yes. And it's one of those things, you know, when the live action Beauty and the Beast, that is the other movie that we are talking about here, um, came out, Beauty and the Beast was my favourite movie and Belle was my favourite princess. But as a child, I was obsessed with The Little Mermaid. I had an Ariel Barbie doll who came everywhere with me. I just absolutely loved Ariel the Little Mermaid is so nostalgic for me. And so, yeah, it's always a toss up between those two. But I think really, if I am completely honest, Ariel slightly takes the lead and she is my favourite. And I think The Little Mermaid is my favourite movie as well. But like literally by a hair. Yeah, I have this with Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Jasmine's definitely my favourite princess, but Belle's like a very close second. But then the movie, I think Beauty and the Beast is my favourite, but Aladdin's a very close second. So I totally understand because I have the same thing. Um, so there we are. And it's interesting for me with The Little Mermaid because, and I've told this story before, so I apologise. I didn't watch it as a little girl because it was in the vault. And one of my mum's friends thought she bought me in. It was that terrible Disney Channel version. Da, 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 da. So I actually didn't really watch The Little Mermaid as a little girl. I remember the first time I got a copy of it when I was a bit older. But I did really like Ariel growing up. I've got a really vivid memory. This might come as a shock to you, actually, Tash. My first ever Walt Disney World holiday, I went to Ariel's Grotto. And I have a picture of this still and video footage of me going to meet Ariel. And... She obviously left a lasting impression on me because I remember at the end of the holiday, we were in Disney or what was it called then? It was called Downtown Disney, but now it's Disney Springs. And my parents said I could choose a princess doll. Now, I kind of feel like my mum wanted me to have Ariel because you got two outfits with Ariel, whereas the others only had one. But even still, I chose Ariel. So I had an Ariel Barbie and you could take the tail off and add her pink dress. So yeah, I definitely liked her growing up. But as I say, wasn't super familiar with the movie. And I feel like we should address this up front, get it out of our chest, our system, whatever. The Little Mermaid, thanks to Kira Knightley and many other celebrities, has been met with quite a lot of controversy and criticism in recent years because of the fact that the character of Ariel is seemingly selling her voice for a man. And it's something we've spoken about on the podcast a lot. It's something that I was really excited to see how that would be tackled with the live action, which obviously we're going to do a full movie review at the end of today's episode, so we will talk about that. But I think... For the purposes of right now, us talking about The Little Mermaid and kind of what we like about it, what we don't, let's put all of that to one side. Like, we're aware of it, you're aware of it, we will talk about it when we talk about the live action, but for 
just from now on, we're not going to talk about Ariel and like feminism and stuff. We're going to be anti-feminists just while we talk about a little bit. So little disclaimer. So Tash, <laughs> with that caveat, what what is it about The Little Mermaid that makes it your favourite? I mean, there is so much nostalgia for me. So again, I remember having, I remember the whole vault thing. And I remember <laughs> my mum bought a copy at some market in our hometown of Brighton and it was a blue video and it didn't have a proper case and it came from a market so it's obviously pirated but that is how I was able to watch it from quite a young age um and then I just remembered I was absolutely hooked on The Little Mermaid absolutely loved it it was always from very early it was always that and Beauty and the Beast I remember alternating when I would finish nursery which one I would watch for like the afternoon when I came home. My parents allowed me a lot of screen time in those days. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it does go back to the nostalgia, but it's not just that as well. I do think that on the face of it, The Little Mermaid, again, we're parking the controversy here and it's so hard to have this conversation without actually addressing that. But I mean, it's based on that classic Hans Christian Andersen tale, which I've never actually read. I don't know if you have. Oh, yeah, because it was a ballet as well. So I remember studying it as a ballet and she she dies of sea. She becomes sea foam at the end. Um, but yeah, and I, I used to have a book. It was actually a Brothers Grimm book, but it was it it had other stories. It was basically like twisted fairy tales. Um, and I remember it being in there as well. And I don't think that that was the accurate version. I think someone had like twisted it even further. But yeah, it's quite it's quite dark. Like most of these movies, you know, um, Sleeping Beauty, the original Charles Perrault version deals with kind of like really adult themes around, you know, being asleep and people kind of coming to see you while you're asleep. We'll leave that there. And Rapunzel as well, the original Rapunzel, that's Brothers Grimm, isn't it? She has to, she falls into the thorns and is blind. So yeah, the original Hans Christian Andersen's quite a, a dark tale mm-hmm. and, and she does die at the end. Yeah, I really, I do want to actually read it now. And she's quite, she's hideous, isn't it? Well, she's like an actual like half, per, half person, half fish or something, I think, isn't she? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's obviously loosely based on that. I'm not familiar with that tale myself, but I think... As the story goes, I just love the story. I love the characters. And of course, that soundtrack as well. For me, it is one of the best Disney soundtrack. I think every song that they have just hits perfectly. I think, you know, we can't talk about Ariel or The Little Mermaid without talking about Jodie Benson, who just, she is Ariel, of course, until now, where Halle Bailey has come and and taken over the role. But, you know, Jodie Benson, she is infamous for being Ariel. She voices pretty much every version of Ariel there is, be it in a game, in a spin-off, in a sequel, whatever. Jodie Benson is always Ariel, and she just has that beautiful kind of playful voice that she lends to her when she sings Part of Your World, and Part of Your World is one of my all-time favourite Disney songs. I just love it. So for me... I always talk about music when it comes to Disney because it is one of the things I love the most about Disney. And of course, we've got Alan Menken as well. And I just think it is perfect, that soundtrack. Yeah, The Little Mermaid is is one of the very few Alan Menken, Howard Ashman movies. And, and you can really tell. I mean, the music is fantastic. It's 
not my favorite soundtrack, but it's undeniably up there as one of the greatest Disney soundtracks, you know, of all time, if you're looking at it kind of objectively. I think The Little Mermaid is a very playful movie and it's just quite feel good and it, you, you have fun with it. It's, it's you know, you've got that kind of the, the, the Caribbean rhythms and it is, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I think also... You, you said you can't talk about Ariel without talking about, and I thought you were going to say Glenn Keane. So Glenn Keane's one of my favourite Disney animators, and obviously he he got the reputation of being a bit of a ladies' man because he designed a lot of the Disney princesses from the Renaissance era, and he obviously was ultimately the, the person that created how Ariel looks as well. And I think, you know, she does have a very iconic look, that really bright, vibrant, you know, out of this world, red hair, the huge eyes, um, the colour design, the green, the purple and the red, it just goes. And, you know, it's what it's one of the only colour palettes that you see on a Disney bound and you just instantly know who that person's meant to be because those bright, vivid colours, just they just look like Ariel. So I think, yeah, the character design of, of her is, is really clever. The, the landscapes are under the water as well. Like, you know, you have to remember this was the 80s and it's all hand-drawn animation. It is, it is really, really, really stunning and clever. So yeah, it's definitely one of the, the great movies, I would say, um, of that Renaissance era, despite the fact that some of these themes have meant that, you know, people are making decisions about whether or not to show it to their children. Another character, Tash, that I always think of when I think of you is Sebastian, because I know he is a character that's very dear to your heart as well. Is, is that always been the case or is that more kind of in adulthood? I think that's more of an adulthood thing. I think when I was younger, I was more team flounder. I had mm -hmm. a flounder plushie. And even now I have the skinny dip flounder water bottle and the makeup bag as well. But Mercedes very kindly got me a Sebastian t-shirt um, for my birthday a couple of years ago. And I think it is probably that thing of, as I become older, I relate to Sebastian more as the one who's kind of trying to keep Ariel in check and, you know, kind of, you know, he's a bit of a father figure. Obviously, we've got Triton, but I mean, I don't even know if we should talk about some of Triton's terrible parenting decisions. Um, whereas I think Sebastian is, is you know, a, another secondary father figure to Ariel. But, you know, he has her wishes at heart a little bit more, I feel. So I feel like he's a bit more relatable. But also, like, I love the fact that he is you know, he tries to be taken seriously, but he is very much a comic character. I always think, you know, talking about the animation, I think there are so many satisfying animation sequences in that film. You know, I'm thinking about in Part of Your World where she's at the top of the grotto and her hair surrounds her. I'm thinking of when Ursula comes out of her lair, whatever it is, cavern, and her tentacle kind of flops down against the camera. And I'm thinking about that scene. Again, I think it is in Part of Your World where Sebastian goes behind... I think it's like a glass and his eyes become massive. Like there's so many comical bits like that. Like Sebastian is such comic relief without, you know, while being quite a serious character. And I just think that he's such an interesting character. There's so much depth to him in that way. And yeah, I just, I just love him. Yeah, it almost goes back to an homage to some of the earlier Disney classics with that kind of like visual comedy and like physical slapstick so things like Dopey with the two gems in the the mine and the the sequences with the mice and Lucifer in, in Cinderella it's very much that kind of like visual visual comedy I guess which I think Disney is so so good at and you have to have strong characters to be able to do that I think what's really interesting for me about The Little Mermaid and like looking at the Disney classics as a whole 
Disney nail it right when they take there's there's a formula okay and if you do this you're gonna win every time it's a classic fairy tale so they haven't come up with this story yes they've changed things but it is a Hans Christian Andersen story as we said the music and lyrics are Howard Ashman and Alan Menken who were off Broadway so Little Shop of Horrors fame that was always successful for them and then again, talking about Jodie Benson, she was a big Broadway star. Now, we've seen this happen before, this exact same formula with Frozen, right? Hans Christian Andersen, you've got your Anderson Lopez's from Broadway, and you've got Idina Menzel, who is the hottest person in the theatre industry, right? We've seen it with Encanto as well. Actually, the story there's new, but again, Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? So... This is a really good winning formula for Disney. And I think that's one of the reasons that it works so, so well. And I really hope that they go back to their roots because, I mean, you look at the latest lineup, Strange World, Raya and the Last Dragon. I, I'm, I, you know, Wish, hopefully, coming out later this year, will be able to turn it around a little bit. But who knows? So I, I, it is just, you know, if I think of... The ultimate Disney classics, and maybe I'm biased because I'm a millennial and I come from the Renaissance era, but it is, you know, your Little Mermaid, your Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Aladdin, they're just unbeatable. Absolutely. And, you know, there is a reason that the Renaissance period is looked back on so fondly. They were doing something very, very right there. And I think they have recognised that, certainly with, you know, getting Lin-Manuel Miranda to write the music for Moana as well as Encanto. But then, like you say we do then have those rogue movies. I still haven't seen Strange World. I have no real desire to see it. Um, I don't know what is going to happen Happen with Wish. It seems almost like they're going back to that kind of original formula, but with new and original stories, which is something I think we are in desperate need of, especially since we are receiving so many live-action remakes at the moment. I think we are crying out for new original content. But um, yeah, I think that we definitely need another kind of like a second coming like a second renaissance period um and I don't know if we're quite in it at the moment I feel like we're kind of dipping into it but then there's a movie that doesn't quite belong I think actually kind of going off piste here at some point who knows how long this podcast will be going for but in like 10 years or so we'll look back and I feel like this period of Disney movies will be really really hard to categorize because of the rogue choices that are in there Strange World, Raya and the Last Dragon, for example. I think it's going to be really hard to name it, like this period. Yeah, we definitely are in a new period. So, you know, after the Renaissance, we had the experimental, which was Yalilo and Stitch, Bolt, Home on the Range, Treasure Planet, Brother Meet Bear. the Robinsons, Brother Bear. Then we moved into the revival, and that was a really exciting time, right? That's your Princess and the Frog, Frozen, Tangled, some really amazing movies there. Wreck-It Ralph, Zootopia, fantastic. That does feel over. It really, really does. We're definitely in a new period of time. I would say Frozen 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Encanto, Raya and the Last Dragon, Strange World definitely are a new era. But you're right, Tash, it's almost the revival well, it's sequels to the revival, so it feels reminiscent of the revival, but then also it does feel a little bit experimental with things like Strange World and Ralph Breaks the Internet. So I don't know. I don't know what this history, this 
period in Disney history is going to be. Maybe we should coin the phrase. I mean, all of the others have just been someone coins the phrase and then it gets adopted. So maybe we should do that here at the Chat Disney podcast. But it, it does certainly feel like we have entered a new period of Disney history. Going slightly back to The Little Mermaid, other characters that we kind of haven't really touched upon. Ursula's obviously a really big one. I mean, she's a lot of people's favourite Disney villain, um, voiced by the late, great Pat Carroll, based on Divine, the drag queen, in, in physicality and in, in, in appearance. Um, I found Ursula very terrifying as a child, but, you know, looking back now... I love her. She's your proper campy Disney villain. You know, there used to be that joke, didn't there, that if a character walks into a Disney movie and they're wearing black, purple or red or a combination of the three, they're going to be the villain. And the character design there, there's no mistaking as soon as Ursula comes on screen with Flotsam and Jetsam, they are the bad guys. And I kind of love that. I kind of relish in that. And I miss that from the current Disney movies, these just really flamboyant over-the-top villains so yeah and and I think Poor Unfortunate Souls is actually one of the better songs in in the movie I Poor Unfortunate Souls is my favorite villain song it's again it is one of my favorite songs from that movie and yeah Ursula is without a doubt my favorite Disney villain and yeah I it's you know nowadays we get you know the villain is your everyday average person that you could meet on the street and that's the scary thing about them they're real whereas I love the whole kind of over the top um really elaborate Disney villain her voice I mean Pat Carroll with that kind of like gravelly husky voice is just so perfect for Ursula that I just think yeah she is fabulous yeah, I agree. And then we've kind of, we've touched upon Triton. We've got the sisters as well. We don't see that much of the sisters in the original animation. So that was definitely something I was looking forward to in the live action. And obviously we'll talk about that when we when we do the review. And then Eric as well. I mean, I know we have our differences of opinions here when it, when it comes to Eric. And I will let you do your spiel in a minute, Mercedes. But I mean, Eric, for me, it's always up there between... Prince Eric and Flynn Rider as who I would want my hypothetical Disney husband to be. I love Eric. I mean, he is your typical male lead hero. He's very handsome. He's very nice. Like, I love him. We don't get much backstory on him, which is something I always crave from The Little Mermaid and something we can talk a little bit about when we start talking about the newer movie. But yeah, I think as, as Disney princes go, Eric is up there with I think he's one of the best and I know that you have a slight difference of opinion and I even do agree with some of your points but again it's that whole nostalgic thing for me with Eric like I just can't quite bring myself to disagree with to agree with you I just think he's a bit of a wet lettuce <laughs> that's it like I've got nothing against him I get it right he's you know the blue eyes the dark hair I, I get that he's conventionally attractive he's just a bit wet and like Again, you know, we're going to talk about some of these plot points more in a second when we get to the live action. But like the way that he like can't really remember Ariel and then falls in love with Vanessa immediately. Like, but he is like under Ursula's spell. It's not his fault. I mean, he is definitely under Ursula's spell in the new version, <laughs> but in the old one, you see his eyes glow. He is. Mm, I don't know. I just. I think. 
I just, I don't get the Eric thing. Like, the Flynn Rider thing, I, I, I don't particularly find, I mean, they're animated characters, this is a weird conversation, but I don't particularly find Flynn Rider that attractive and he's not in my top five, but I do understand other, like, the Flynn Rider thing makes sense to me, it's just not for me, if that makes sense. Eric, I'm like, come on, Tash, you can do so much better. He's just... There's not much going on. I mean, the fact that he spends like three days with Ariel, she doesn't really talk. And I don't know, Eric and Ariel's relationship for me, again, it goes back to these themes that we've sort of alluded to, was something I was very excited to see in the live action because I personally felt it needed a bit of work. I don't believe that those two characters love each other in the animation. I just don't. And... I just, I can give or take Eric. He doesn't do anything for me. There's no moment where I think, oh my God, what a hero. I'm so glad you've got my back. Um, that's kind of what I love about him. Like he's he's not really the hero because Ariel, let's not forget, Ariel saves him. So it's almost like mm-hmm. the Florence Nightingale effect, right? That he then yeah. falls in love with her because she saved him and her voice. And I guess he kind of comes to her saviour at the end and he drives the the bow into Ursula, ultimately stabbing her. But I love the fact that Ariel, it's the first time we see a female save the male. 100%. I definitely agree with that. I love that as well. But, and this is like very anti-feminist of me, I that's not what I'm here for. I need someone to take care of me, you know? I need Prince Philip slaying a dragon. Um, but he does that at the end. He slays Ursula. He does slay Ursula, and again, that will. I've, I've said that leads me to the live action too many times. That I think it's time that we wrap up our little little mermaid chat, our little little mermaid chat, and we talk about the live action adaptation. This is a full movie review. I am really excited for this. So we saw the movie separately and we're not just saying this, we haven't even really acknowledged the presence of the movie to each other yet. I have no idea what Mercedes thinks about the movie. She has no idea my thoughts on the movie. I know going into it, we were both a little sceptical because of, I think the biggest thing for me was the CGI. I I was quite scared about because of the trailer and you had that, infamous bit where Ariel was like falling back onto I don't know what it was corals or whatever and she looked like a computer generated character um so I think that was why I was most skeptical I was also skeptical about some of the casting as a side note I apart from the trailers I didn't listen to the soundtrack I know there were a couple of videos released of like there was a video of poor unfortunate souls released before the movie was released I didn't watch that I was very nervous nervous about the casting of Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. Previously, we had seen um, Queen Latifah play Ursula on the um, Hollywood Bowl version of The Little Mermaid that they did a couple of years ago, and she did a really stellar job. And there was a lot of people speculating that a drag queen should have been cast because the original Ursula was obviously um, modelled on Divine. So there were a lot of questions over that. And of course, the big elephant in the room the controversy surrounding the first with the whole anti-feminism message that you can take from it so I don't even know where to begin with this okay so I'll 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 start with my preconceived notions as well I mean they're very similar to Tasha's so it won't take very long I was also really nervous about the CGI that was the main thing for me 
and um yeah that was it I I wasn't very familiar with Melissa McCarthy so I'd say yeah I only know her from Bridesmaids where she plays like a very comical the most unursula-esque character I couldn't imagine her playing a villain but that's the only thing I know her from okay I didn't know her so whatever um yeah I was a little bit scared about that James Bond villain playing Triton because we've seen him as Salazar in Pirates of the Caribbean 4 or 5 and he's always a villain and I just found that a bit of a rogue choice um but yeah otherwise I was I was really skeptic I always am going into these live actions but the main thing for me was the animation I was really concerned about the CGI um yeah so okay that's that why don't you say what you think I thought and I'll say what I think you thought and then we'll see if we're right and then we'll talk about it. Okay, I I don't think you hated it. I think you were probably pleasantly surprised. I don't think it was your favourite live action and I think you probably still have some gripes with the story. Interesting. I think I think you really liked it. I think there were issues for you, but that's because we review movies and we go into detail. I think there were things that you would change or don't necessarily think were needed, but I think you would have really enjoyed it and I think it would be up there for you. I think you're spot on. I absolutely loved it. You were spot on as well. (laughs) (laughs) This is how well we know each other. This is why we do a Disney podcast. I absolutely loved it. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I think it was cast beautifully. I cannot fault a single person. Maybe apart from Javier Bardem, if that's how you say his name. As Triton, he was the only one who I found was a little bit wooden. Apart from that, the casting, we'll get more into it in a minute, but was amazing. But I do still, I think there were a couple of missed opportunities there for me, which is a little bit frustrating because they were very these things that could have been easily changed and I don't think they quite did enough to move away from some of those controversies from the original but Ah. as a whole I loved it interesting I disagree Mm. I was really happy with the plot the plot made me really happy there were some changes they made that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of because they were sort of they're the changes that don't immediately uh, address some of those controversial plot points but actually did it in a more poetic more storytelling kind of way that I just wouldn't have thought of, of of doing so no I was really satisfied with that I I my gripes were some of the Lin-Manuel Miranda songs as much as I hate to say it and we'll talk about that in a second so obviously because Howard Ashman has passed away Alan Menken wrote all of the new music but Lin-Manuel Miranda was the lyricist and I some of them were good some not so much for me the cgi let's just start with the cgi because this is really where this movie came down now the elephant in the room for me is two things first of all live action and half of it's not live action always frustrates me we've spoken about the lion king to death this one obviously as soon as she becomes a human we're all good but for the beginning we do spend a lot of time under the water and this movie needed to really nail that it really did and it just didn't I I think this movie has really, really been a casualty of timing. 
I think if we hadn't just been spoiled with Avatar 2, The Way of Water, perhaps it wouldn't have looked as bad. But we have just been treated to a visually stunning masterpiece set under the water. We've also just had it with Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever as well. There's a lot of underwater scenes there with sort of mer people that's, that's striking and beautiful. And the animation was not, not good. Yeah, I agree. It is something I kind of was able to ignore as the movie went on. But the first kind of scene under the sea where you follow a mermaid's tail through, it was very jarring. And I remember thinking, like, I've seen more realistic underwater scenes in Finding Nemo, for example. Like, if they can get it right in that, why can't they in this? Um, I think there is a reason I did prefer the stuff on land. And I think maybe that is partly why, because the CGI was a bit jarring but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I was anticipating I would say I was watching like a hawk for that one scene that we had seen from the trailer um I think they sped it up I think they it didn't look as bad as I had remembered so either they had done something to it or sped it up I don't know but it didn't look as bad I think it was sped up but I think yeah it was something I was yeah very hit with at first but I did come to terms with it and kind of accept it absolutely now let's talk about so that that was my big gripe so i needed to get that off my chest let's talk about probably the most controversial aspect of this movie from the beginning from the minute we knew that it was being cast Halle bailey in the title role of ariel now both tash and i fully support Halle bailey and i think we haven't discussed it yet but i think that we both agree that she was a very good choice for the role and yes, there's been a lot of negativity online about the fact that she's a black actress. One of the things I do agree with is, and it kind of touches on what you were just saying a moment ago, Tash, about new stories. I don't think that Ariel needs to be black or white or any ethnicity, right? She's a mermaid. But if I was a black person and I wanted to see myself reflected in a Disney movie, I'd love to have my own story that really paid homage to black culture. I do think that introducing some more sort of Caribbean elements to this movie spoke to that a lot, a lot better. Um, but yeah, I, 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 regardless, you know, I, whatever, whatever your opinion is, I think that she was cast beautifully. I realised something when I was in the cinema. I felt very proud of myself. It's probably really obvious. But I thought about Belle, okay, and how Emma Watson's vocals in the live-action Beauty and the Beast are absolutely awful. It's the worst auto-tune ever. But I thought about Belle, and I imagined for a second that I was directing a live-action Beauty and the Beast. What is Belle to you, right? She's intelligent. She's smart. She's books. We think of books. We think of the library scene. She's beautiful, but in a demure, bookish way. When we think of Emma Watson, she is Hermione Granger. Hermione Granger is the Harry Potter version of Belle. She's this brunette who's pretty in her own way, but only certain people kind of see her beauty. She's obsessed with books and learning and education. And when we think about that, yeah, I actually think Emma Watson was a really good choice. We think about Jasmine. Jasmine is sassy. She's sexy. She's fierce. And we got that from Naomi Scott. When we think about Ariel, and disagree with me if you will, she's naivety and she's purity, but she's her voice. She is her voice. It's the plot of the film. And Jodie Benson as Ariel, part of your world, that is the thing you think of. You think of her pushing herself up against the rock with her hair, with that 
you know, belting that note. They had to nail the voice here. They had to. And Rob Marshall, the casting director, has spoken to this. He said, I didn't have any preconceived ideas about what my aerial was going to look like. I just needed to find that voice. And I'm sorry, Tash, you're probably going to disagree with me and hate me. I enjoyed Haley ba- or Halle Bailey's version of Part of Your World more than the original. I absolutely loved it. I am obsessed with her as Ariel. I I can't say the same because I loved Jodie Benson so much as Ariel and I will always love that original version. But I think in its own right, this new version is just as good. I think that Halle Bailey, I don't think you could have cast a better actress for that role she was playful she did it with so much heart with so much soul like her voice is absolutely beautiful I honestly think she is up there with one of the best portrayals of a live action character um from the like animation remake I yeah I'm obsessed with her she looks ethereal like she looks otherworldly yeah she does she looks like a mermaid she doesn't look like a human being like she's too stunning she she just looks right yeah as soon as it starts and you see her under the water she just looks right and even obviously you know half of maybe not quite half of the film but half of that film she doesn't have a voice so it's all about her her body language her eyes there was so much emotion from her eyes that I kind of completely forgot that she actually didn't speak in that second half of that movie because I still knew exactly what she was thinking, what she was feeling, because she was so expressive with her face. And I don't know how she did it, but she just got it so, so right. Yeah, it's interesting because she's never acted before. And I agree with you about the eyes. There was one moment where I thought that was a bit poor. It was the moment where, and I can remember it really clearly because it happens in the cartoon. You know when Sebastian's like, and then you're going to be... And he looks at Ariel and she's really upset and he goes, miserable for the rest of your life. That happened and she didn't look that upset. I remember that one moment. But hey, she's not an actress and I think she did a bloody fantastic job. And yeah, I I never had any doubt, to be honest with you, about the casting of, of Halle Bailey. And I certainly, I don't understand how anyone could have an issue with it. For me, she was the highlight of the entire movie. That voice was just, as I say, I preferred it to the original. What's really interesting as well, Tash, as you say, you know, you enjoyed both versions. Isn't it wild how different they are they're really different as well which I loved it's a a little bit like uh when Will Smith did the genie another fantastic portrayal of a Disney uh, of a Disney character in live action form I love Robin Robin Williams genie and I would never you know I probably feel the same way about him as as you do about Jodie Benson but Will Smith's is so different and so contemporary and just his version that I'm like actually I can appreciate that they're both really, really good in their own right. And I think this this is similar. Absolutely, yeah. You get a lot more soul, um, I think, from from Halle Bailey, whereas, yeah, Jodie Benson is, is very, very playful when you get that, I don't know, that naivety from her. Um, let's talk about some of the other characters. So what did we think of David Diggs as Sebastian? I, interesting, I was really excited about David Diggs as Sebastian. He is very famous from Hamilton. He plays Lafayette and Jefferson, if anyone's watched the Disney Plus version, which I'm sure many of you have. I, hmm, 
really, really liked the character of Sebastian. I've never felt as fondly about Sebastian as you have, but the live action actually made me go, okay, I kind of get it now. So I think they did embellish Sebastian's character. Obviously, they changed the plot in quite a big way for Sebastian, um, which I guess we can talk about now because we're doing spoilers. So by changing, it was very clever and very subtle, and we'll get to feminism and, and why this was so important. But they made one tiny tweak, which is that Ariel couldn't remember that she needed to kiss Eric. And that's a tiny, tiny tweak, but actually has huge repercussions for the whole vibe of the movie and, uh, you know, this whole giving up your voice and da-da-da-da-da, which we'll talk about in a second. But it also had huge repercussions for Sebastian because it meant Sebastian was kind of on this one-man quest to get them to kiss and we were Sebastian. We could feel his frustration. So I'm not really answering your question. Your question was about to be Dick specifically. I liked what they did with Sebastian's character. It made me like Sebastian more and so on. thought his singing was sensational the acting, and I don't think it's David Diggs's fault. I think it's the portrayal physically of Sebastian. I couldn't relate to him as much. And it was the same with Flounder and it was the same with Scuttle. I really didn't like their character design. So therefore, I just, I couldn't, I could appreciate they were good performances. And as I say, Sebastian had some funny one-liners and he was probably one of my favourite characters from the movie. But there was something that just wasn't as endearing about those characters as in the original. I know what you mean. I think when you have a character, it's the same. I felt the same way about it that I did with my apprehension for Cogsworth and Lumiere and Mrs. Potts with the live action Beauty and the Beast. And, you know, Sebastian, I'm so used to that animated one. And he is one of my favourite Disney characters of all time. And I was very worried. And again, it was the same thing. I found the actual visual image of him quite jarring at first, but I got used to it as time went on. And again, yeah, brilliant points. I loved what they did with his character. I thought they got even more comedy into him. And I thought that David Dig Dave David Diggs did a really good job with lending his vocals to the voice of Sebastian. Flounder was an interesting one for me because I think J Jacob Tremblay, who voices him, he's quite a young guy. I think he did a good job, but Flounder in this movie, he was a bit of a non-entity. I feel like he was barely there. Like, you know the bit in the movie when Ariel first becomes human and Flounder's on the boat and Sebastian was kind of like, right, off you go, Flounder, like back into the sea. I was kind of like, yeah, like, bye-bye. We don't really need you here. I, like, I feel like they could have written Flounder out of the movie and it wouldn't have made a difference. I know a lot of people would have been upset because Flounder is such a big integral part, but I just feel like we get a lot more from him in the fur, in the original um, animation than we did in this movie. And this, I could have given or, take, given or taken him. And this is no disrespect to the voice actor, but I just think that we didn't really need him in this movie. No, Flounder in this movie felt almost like Pua in Moana. Yes, like, yes. It, there's just no He was point. a bit pointless. Like, yeah. if this was a new movie, I would be like, what is the point of that fish? A hundred percent. I completely agree. I really disliked his character design, especially. I know they're trying to make it look like a real fish. Like, I'm sure there is a fish out there that looks like that. But I, no, wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, I agree. It almost felt like Sebastian was Ariel's best friend. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I, she, yeah, I didn't get the same chemistry between Flounder and this Ariel that I did in the original. No, definitely not. And then you've got Scuttle, who I was very nervous about Scuttle being voiced by Aquafina. I find Aquafina quite irritating, to be completely honest with you. 
her character Ciso or whatever they're called, the main the main dragon in Mora and the Last Dragon is honestly one of the most irritating characters in any Disney movie ever and I know I'm not alone in this I know a lot of people did not enjoy enjoy her performance in War and the Last Dragon but I actually was pleasantly surprised and I think that actually Scuttle is quite an irritating character um the skeptic in me is like of course you made Scuttle a female because now the movie passes the Bechdel test um it wouldn't have done without without Scuttle um because even when the sisters were talking they were talking about Ariel's obsession with the human world which you could say was about a man if you wanted so yeah Scuttle being female balances out the cast yeah I was I was the same with Scuttle but I actually liked the fact that they redid him as a as a female I think that yeah my feelings about Aquafina were very much the same but I think she did do a really good job I think that her you know she's got such a distinct voice and I think it did really suit Scuttle and Scuttle is annoying and I think that she showed that in a in a good way without the character being like she didn't irritate me Scuttle didn't irritate me in the same way that Sisu does from Raya and the Last Dragon oh I hate that character so let's talk about the sisters as well before we get on to um the other two main characters because so many things to discuss so the sisters was an interesting one because obviously we saw the sisters portrayed um sort of in in the trailer and things and obviously the thing that immediately jumped out was well why aren't they all black as well if they're meant to be aerial sisters surely they should be the same ethnicity and then it kind of got rumored that there was this idea idea that they were going to represent the different seven seas and it was just an, a, a rumour. And I was like, oh, I really hope that that's true. I really hope that that's accurate. Because if that is why they all look completely different, then that's really, really cool. And then we got that confirmation. So, you know, we can imagine that, oh, I don't know any of the actors' names, but the girl that plays Kate in Bridgerton, she's clearly meant to be the Indian Ocean. And she spoke with an Indian accent in the movie. She's actually British in real life, but she spoke with an Indian accent. There's one who was very pale with like white hair. She's probably meant to be like the Arctic or I don't know, somewhere near like Scandinavia. Um, and I loved that. I wanted a bit more confirmation though, like which sea was area or like I really care about things like that. I wanted to know like who they all represented, but I thought it was a really nice idea. It got a little bit more diversity into the movie as well, but in a really nice poetic way that didn't feel forced, which I really liked. But it did leave me with one question. Whenever Triton would like talk about their mother, it was like they had one mother. And I I know it's a bit weird, but I like originally kind of, when I saw them, I thought, oh, okay, so Triton's like basically, they're his daughters, they're the seven seas. I didn't really see it as like a, a I, 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 did, I didn't imagine that he'd like had a string of women or anything like that. I saw it more like a god. So like how, you know, um, I don't know when they say people are like the son of Zeus it's not a very good example but I just saw it as like he was like the they kept calling him the king of the sea or the god of the sea I just thought he had like just sort of spawned these daughters I didn't think about parentage I guess but then they mentioned the mother and I was like but wait do they have the same mother it's kind of implied that they do but then if that's the case why have they all traveled to the same sea like so what did they just abandon all of their daughters and like what if one of them had been a boy? Like, I just, I had so many questions. I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I thought the very same thing as well. When they first came and that's, and he was like, thank you for all being here. I was like, oh, so they're not actually his like biological daughters. But then thinking about it, 
if they hadn't been, I think that scene where he comes and destroys Ariel's grotto would have been so different because I think I think that is, you know, how not to parent one on one anyway. But I think if that had been some man who's not really her dad trashing a grotto, I think it could have been even like a lot more controversial. And I think that we wouldn't have, I don't know. I don't, the relationship definitely wouldn't have been the same. I don't think she would have had the same kind of incentive to go to the land if she hadn't been pushed to it by her father. And I think at the end it wouldn't have pulled on the heartstrings so much. I mean, it didn't as much as it does to me in the original movie. There wasn't as much emotion with it at the end, I think, here. But I think if he hadn't have been a biological father, yeah, that wouldn't have been. But they could, they could have easily not mentioned the mother. She didn't really... I guess because there was the whole thing about, you know, her being killed by the mermen, no, by the mermen, by men on land. Um, so I guess they did mention her. But yeah, I was a little bit disappointed with the whole story of the sisters. I thought they were a lot more two-dimensional than in the animation. I also wanted to know more about this coral moon ceremony that they all met for, because they mentioned it a couple of times. At the end, again, Ariel was going back for the coral moon thing. And I was like, but what? what is this thing? Like, you can't invent a ceremony or a reason for them to be together and then together and then not elaborate on what it is yeah i don't know why they got rid of the concert idea like they made as i say they kind of made them i didn't have an issue i don't think biology is what i'm getting at because you know you can be raised by a parent that's not biologically yours it was more like i guess from my mind i imagined he'd like grown them himself do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but then as soon as he mentioned a mother, and maybe maybe they did, maybe they adopted them or like, I don't know. But anyway, but yeah, I agree with you about the Coral Moon thing. I think that by having them, I don't even have an issue that they're like this dif- different seas and stuff, but what it does is it makes me feel like, okay, so they don't live with each other. And like you were saying about pulling at the heartstrings, one of the things that makes me upset at the end of the original when she goes off with Eric is like, oh, but she's not going to be with her dad and her sisters. But in this, I was like, she doesn't care about those sisters because they live in different seas. Like, they just come together for the coral. And also, why does Ariel live with Triton, but the others live in their different seas? I guess she's the youngest, but... But what sea is she? Like, I maybe yeah, she's, I don't like, know. the Caribbean Sea, and that's I would have liked lives. more clarity on yeah, this. Yeah, they don't... Yeah, I agree with it, you. It felt, yeah, it felt a bit like a half-hatched idea. It's like, bottom line, don't introduce a new concept and then not back it up. What I would say about this movie is that of all of the live actions, I actually think it's the closest to the original. There was some like... Apart from The Lion King, which is a carbon copy. Apart from (laughs) The Lion King, which is a carbon copy. There are a few things that they like subverted and twisted and changed like for example the fact that ariel couldn't remember that she needed to try and kiss prince eric which we'll talk about in a a minute because i think that was fundamentally the thing that made this a, a much better movie but apart from that like you have subplots like Cinderella's completely different, but even Beauty and the Beast, you've got like the whole Paris apartment with Emma. There were no like new scenes. Which I really thought we were going to get from this. And especially with the backstory that was alluded to with the mum, I thought we were going to get more from that. We also had confirmation that Ursula was Triton's sister, but there was no context to that. It was mentioned and we know that's why she used to live in the palace that's something a line from the first movie when she talks about her palace days but we don't know what happened and that is something I really missed out on and really craved from this movie I also just while we're talking about it 
I thought that there was going to be some sort of brilliant twist where Ursula had actually killed the mum to try and get rid of Triton, but I was disappointed. Well, I wasn't disappointed by that, but it was just some theory that I had. But yeah, I, again, another thing that was alluded to a bit half-assed and we didn't really see. Yeah, but what it did by making Ursula Triton's sister, it was clever because then she had a motive. Yes. She doesn't have a motive in the first movie. Like, she's just like... I hate Triton and there's no reason. Whereas in this, he's my brother, he's exiled me, he doesn't want me involved, so I'm going to take over the throne, it's rightfully mine. Like, there was a motive. So that is one good thing. And also the fact that she was Ariel's auntie as well, it made it more, I don't know, I guess it would have made Ariel feel safer going to see her. Yeah, she didn't just go off with some random sea witch. It was like, oh, I have heard of you. Yeah, and she made that comment, didn't she? Like, oh, you're not at all like father made you out to be. Exactly, like that that was good as well. It makes Ariel not look as dumb, basically. And that is a really common theme. Like, let's talk about that stuff. So... The the controversy that we've kind of alluded to throughout is basically the fact that Ariel's dumb. Ariel is, um, I guess, just a really bad role model for children because ultimately she gives up her voice, she gives up her power to speak for a man. That's basically the bottom line. Now, there are a few things they did in this movie to address that, and I do think they did a really, really good job. The first one was removing certain lyrics from certain songs, and we knew that this was going to happen before we went into the movie. Things like Ursula saying, the men up there don't like a lot of blabber, which is meant to mean the men up there don't care if you talk very much, they don't want you to talk. That's horrendous. Not a good message for children in in 2023. Um, You don't underestimate the uh, importance of body language. That was gone because that's a bit inappropriate. That whole sequence was was gone, wasn't it, basically? Completely different. And then there were some really big plot points. And that was the fact that we kind of get this in the animation, but they really ramped up Ariel's fascination with humans even more so. So it was like she wanted to be a human anyway, And then Eric was just an additional fuel. And actually, Eric wasn't the reason she signed the contract. She didn't know if she was ever going to see Eric ever again. She just really wanted to be a human. So that was great. Then, of course, she signs the contract and doesn't sign it with her name. She signs it in blood. And I was so happy about this because another really big controversy of this movie is we see Ariel sign her name. Why couldn't she have just written Eric a note that's like, I'm that girl that saved you. I've lost my voice. I was enchanted by a sea witch. So in this version, we have to assume Ariel can't write, which is fantastic and ties that up really, really nicely. And then the other big thing as well was the fact that we've already spoken about this, but as soon as Ariel's enchanted by Ursula and becomes a human, she forgets that she has to kiss Eric. So their love that develops over the short three days that she has is completely organic, completely devoid of any meddling from Ursula or Ariel trying to get her agenda or whatever. It is a true romance, which I liked. And as I've already mentioned, gave Sebastian a bit more of a character and a bit more of a mission. Some other things as well that I noticed that were different, again, really subtle, but different. We didn't have the chef, uh, Chef Louis singing La Poisson. Again, this is because the movies had criticism around kind of French gender, uh, French, um, not gender stereotypes, just French stereotypes, I guess, prejudice stereotypes. So he was completely gone. That character did not exist. We had um, Brim, Gr- Grimley, Grimsby. Grimsby. Grimsby was like more of a father fi- figure for Eric. And he kind of was 
giving him a bit more right and wrong, which I quite liked. So that was really good. And then the final thing, I'm sure there's other stuff that I've forgotten about, but the big, big final thing is that Ariel killed Ursula. And I thought that was amazing. It was exactly the same way that Ursula is, is killed in the final in the final moments of the original movie, and that's the ship being driven into her. But obviously we see Eric do that in the cartoon, and it was Ariel who ultimately took control of her destiny in this one. And again, much more empowering and really is in keeping with what you were saying earlier, Tash, about how Ariel saves Eric, but Ariel saves the day in the end, actually. And, and that was, was good. So, yeah, they're kind of like, there's probably others. They're the, the, the very subtle changes that I spotted that suddenly make this movie feel a little bit more PC. Absolutely. I mean, it was even things like there's a moment in Poor Unfortunate Souls where Ariel is like, no, this is wrong, I'm not going to do this. And then Ursula has that line of, um, fine, go back home to daddy and never leave again. So it kind of confirms like, actually, I don't want to be stuck in here and, you know, my father's peed me off or whatever. But also like the whole thing about it not just being her voice, she made that whole bit about giving up your your things that make you a mermaid. So your legs, your... What else was it? Your ability Your to breathe underwater. Song. That was it. So it was the siren song. It wasn't, the emphasis wasn't on the voice so much. It was like, okay, that's part of the package of what you're giving up. Yeah, I So really, I thought that was really yeah, good. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was really good. Yeah, you're right. It was like you're giving up mermaid life rather than just the voice. It wasn't about the voice. You're absolutely right. And it was siren song. Absolutely, yeah. And they made siren song a much bigger thing they did in the movie as well um, and again we already kind of spoke about this a little bit and you said well no Eric is definitely enchanted in the cartoon I think you are definitely right but in the live action that was like there was no doubt he was in like a proper proper trance definitely and also the fact that you know in the original she wants to go up you know to meet Eric and whatever and we have this kind of whirlwind romance which we do get to a degree here but we do also see a bit more of Eric to uh, Eric's characters, Eric's character. So he kind of has the equivalent of Ariel's grotto and he is obsessed with things from under the sea. He has that little mermaid. He has all these shells and stuff. So you can see that they have things in common. They are obsessed with each other's worlds. So it's like there's more of a basis for a relationship to form rather than it just being, oh, she saved me love at first sight or whatever. I do think that there was a slight mark that was missed at the end where they got married. I don't think they needed to have got married. It could have just been they were off to go traveling and explore the other seas or whatever. There didn't need to be any mention of a wedding or it could have been something like, I don't know, one year on or something just to kind of, you know, show even further that this wasn't some kind of whirlwind yeah. romance. They hadn't like, she hadn't suddenly become human and they'd got married or whatever. I agree. And I liked the fact that when he was with Vanessa, who we'll talk about in a moment, that wasn't a wedding either. That was an engagement party. Because again, it's like, no, you can't get married the next day. Like that's actually yeah. ridiculous. An engagement party is still pretty ridiculous, but it's better than a wedding. Um, before we talk about Eric, I'm sure Tash has got lots to speak about there. I have to talk about Vanessa very quickly. I actually think even more so than Halle Bailey, she was the best casting. I honestly, not only did she, she look just like the animated version, 
but also she was so beautiful. And as soon as she became Ursula again, as soon as that necklace broke and she had Melissa McCarthy's voice, she looked demonic. I mean, that actress, honestly, we're going to be seeing her all over the place, I'm sure, because she really left a lasting impression on me. And I've seen on the internet that she is a big fan favourite as well. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. For someone who is in the film, literally probably for about five minutes... She did such a good job of portraying that character and she was so cold. Like, she was almost like dead behind... Like, she... Yeah, she did a really fantastic job with that. She was great. So, Eric, so before before we kind of... I, I'm not familiar with this actor, actually. I don't know if he's unknown or whatever. I certainly didn't know him. But we had a um, rumour that it was going to be Harry Styles. Now, I don't know about Harry Styles' acting chops, but... All I'll say is I know that he can carry a tune far better than this Prince Eric. I think that if they had have cast Harry Styles, I think he's too big and it would have taken away from yeah. the character too much. I, think, I right. think it would have been too much of a distraction. This guy, Jonah, Jonah something, um, I think he did a really good job. I But I think it wasn't so much down to his acting. I think it was to how Eric was kind of rewritten the fact that we got a lot more depth from him we learned a little bit about his background he was kind of because it, it has always bothered me in the past like how is erica prince who is grimsby to him like why does he need to get married whereas we did have that little bit of backstory we actually met his mother his adoptive mother the queen um who was a black actress and there was a line about him being kind of washed up so we got that he kind of came from like rags to riches almost and he was you know he was almost born into or like kind of brought into a world that he wasn't necessarily born in and it's kind of similar to Ariel you know she was born in, in the sea and she wants to be on land so they're both in places that they don't particularly feel comfortable with living so another kind of common ground so I think little things like that really did a lot to kind of develop Eric as a character and give him more depth. I completely agree now going from more depth to being totally shallow. Eric's your ideal prince, you've already said, as a little girl, you know, the blue eyes, the dark hair, he was the ultimate Disney prince for you. Were you satisfied with this human version in terms of his physicality? No, I don't... I wouldn't say that he was unattractive. I think that he was... I think in terms of physical appearance, I think he did look like Eric. I think he was very good for the role. And I think there's a lot of people that will be thoroughly obsessed with this, Eric. But for me, personally, if we had to... If I had to then do, like, a live-action list of characters I would want to marry, hypothetically, he wouldn't be at the top. No, I was really disappointed with him as well. You know, I wanted, like... A Harry Styles, I do agree with you that Harry Styles is too famous. It would have been like Will Smith and Aladdin and it would have been the Harry Styles show. So I do agree with that. But like, I don't know, a Hugh Dancy or a Jonathan Bailey or a just there are so many other actors that are really handsome that can sing really, really well. And I think you're right. I think they wanted to go for an unknown actor. But I just for me, he just didn't quite do it. And his song as well was so, so unnecessary. If there is something that we do not need more of, it is white men singing ballads in live action adaptations. We've had ever more. Now we've got the, like, we don't, we don't need that. I really enjoyed the additional songs um, 
like the one that Ariel sang when she, I thought it was a really clever plot device as well. So she's given up her oh, voice. The first time something was it? Yes. Yeah. And and it and it repeats that lyric a couple of times, which is how you know it's a Lin Manuel Miranda song. Um yeah, the first time. And I loved that because again it was like we got to hear because I remember actually when she gave up her 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 siren song, thinking, Oh, we're not gonna hear her sing now. That's sad. But that was really clever that we still got to hear Halle Bailey singing, even though she had, you know, because we were kind of hearing her thoughts in her head. I thought that song was great. The scuttlebutt. I so first of all, the internet hates it and thinks it's an abomination. If you just listen to it on Spotify, yeah, what on earth is this absolute car crash? It is utter chaos. It's Alan Menken with sort of Caribbean vibes, plus a Lin-Manuel Miranda rap worthy of somebody like David Diggs. And it's performed by Aquafina, who's got quite a grating voice, and David Diggs as well, but still... It did work for me. I really like it. And I feel like it's a really annoying song and I shouldn't. But I think, again, it's so Lynn. It's the most Lynn song. Like you listen to that song and there is no question over to who has written the lyrics for that. But it is so lyrically satisfying as well. Like it just works. Lynn manuel is a genius. I have to say I was a little bit disappointed with... I think I just had too high expectations with him for his other song. I do like the Ariel song, but I was quite disappointed with um, Eric's song, Wild Uncharted Waters. And I'm sure there was another one. I'm sure they said four songs. I think songs. Ariel had two songs. The oh, f- did he write the other reprise? Rep- rep- mm. Oh, there was a there was a reprise of an old song um, at the end. She sang Part of Your World, but with different lyrics. Yes, yeah, she did. You're right. She yeah. did. That's right. Um, I liked those lyrics. Yeah, I, I liked those lyrics as well. I thought they were a nice touch. But um, yeah, the other two songs I was, it wasn't quite as good as I was expecting. Whereas Scuttlebutt absolutely delivered and it was very Lynn. But I can see why people would hate that song. The internet absolutely hates it. They're like Aquafina, Lin Manuel Miranda, what on earth? And it, it does sound horrific if you just listen to it out of context. But I liked it as well because. It wasn't unnecessary. It wasn't like they, you know... Also, don't hire Lin-Manuel Miranda if you don't want to rap. Like, you know what you're getting. But it didn't feel unnecessary. It didn't feel like he just shoehorned a rap in because that moment in the classic is really chaotic. It's Scuttle like, no, 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 the sea witch, she's she's actually her and Vanessa and he's he's trying to marry the sea witch and Scuttle's really struggling to kind of get this message out. It really carried the story along. It really did carry the story along. And I... It should. I, I mean, it's textbook the kind of thing that I should hate. But I actually really, I, I did really enjoy that. And um, yeah, so cool. Let's talk about Ursula because you said you were really nervous about M- Melissa McCarthy's portrayal of Ursula before you went into the movie. I was, and then I think maybe it was the week or the days before the movie came out. I know she was being kind of dragged online. I mean, there was a lot of controversy around it anyway because a lot of people had really hoped that Disney would cast a drag a drag queen in the role um and then it was announced that and then i think people wanted um queen latifah to do the role for the movie and then it was announced that they were were casting were casting melissa mccarthy who is obviously a white female actress so i think a lot of people were disappointed with that choice i was very skeptical about it in the coming weeks i don't know if you saw but there was it kind of went viral there were a lot of drag queens kind of slating her makeup because of there's one image and her eyebrows are terrible they are like so wonky lots of people saying like you know her eyebrows are meant to be sisters it was like they're not even like cousins twice removed or whatever they did look terrible um 
And yeah, I hadn't listened to any of Poor Unfortunate Souls or anything. But I think she did a really amazing job and I was able, I think she made the role her own. And I look upon the role of Ursula in kind of a similar way to the way I see Robin Williams as the genie. He owns that role and he does such an amazing job and it's such a strong character. And Pat Carroll is the same, that gravelly voice. I was like, I don't know how anyone else can do this role. But I think she did take it and make it her own. I didn't know she could sing. I think she did a really, really good job and I was very satisfied with her performance. I thought her performance was absolutely fine. I didn't think it was anything special. I do think that there are people that could have done a much more incredible job. The makeup, I do agree, was awful as well. I'm not bothered that she was a white female because ultimately I know that the character designs based on Divine, but... Pat Carroll's a white female so you know it'd be different if they had a drag queen that had had voiced the original or whatever so yeah I just I just thought I thought she was good don't get me wrong but it wasn't stand out for me in the same way that like Halle Bailey or that girl that plays Vanessa were um and I agree with you about Triton as well you said that that was your kind of one disappointing I find that guy a bit flat in everything he's in to be honest he gets some really big um movies under his belt he he is very good as a james bond villain he's got that scary face and like the blonde hair and he looks completely different but in pirates of the caribbean i thought he was forgettable he was the most random choice for me like he's the only one i look at and i'm like there could have been so many more people that could have played yeah. that role and he was probably better. paid the highest as well because he's the yeah. most famous yeah. person as well apart from melissa mccarthy but yeah i i i no one else for me i thought was like sensational apart from Halle bailey i didn't get the same emotion from this triton that i do with the original one like there's that scene where he realizes where ariel's gone missing and he realizes and he's like oh what have i done and it's like you really see a lot of regret whereas we got that same line from this Triton but it didn't have the same feel and the ending at the end of the animation when she's like I love you daddy it is really heartfelt that bit whereas I didn't get the same level of emotion from their goodbye at the end of this one that's interesting I think for me I found this portrayal of Triton and Ariel's relationship a little bit more realistic I think that in the original classic it's either love you daddy or Ariel there's kind of no grey and I felt like this Triton did a much better job of going like oh actually maybe I was a bit hard on her and maybe I shouldn't have done that and you know I I, I, I just think it was a bit more realistic but mm-hmm. um Hey, I mean, it's set under the sea in Atlantica where it's mer people. Um, did you see Jodie Benson's cameo? Yes, loved Jodie Benson's cameo in the market. Yeah, clocked that one straight away. I didn't know she was doing cameo either, but I wasn't surprised. Yeah, absolutely. She had to, right? Yeah. You had to, we were expecting that. Really, really important. But no, I actually, I did enjoy the movie and I, I surprised myself. I went in with a very, very sceptic head I wasn't looking forward to the CGI and I was really concerned about how they were going to fix the story. It wasn't even that I didn't think they would. I knew that they would. I was worried that they would do it in a way that didn't feel authentic or that completely derailed from the original. And we've spoken about this on the podcast before. We want empowered feminine characters, but we want it to feel genuine. And when we look at things like Bo Peep in the first Toy Story and then compare her to her character in Toy Story 4... 
it doesn't feel sincere and genuine that that character would have that arc. And also it's frustrating to me, and we, we spoke about this at the time when we did the review of Toy Story 4, that Disney's answer or Pixar's answer to making a more progressive feminine character was to put her in a pair of trousers. It's like, no, keep her in her big Southern Belle dress and keep her sexuality, just give her a louder voice. Like that's what I would have preferred to see with that character. And I think that that's what they've ultimately done with The Little Mermaid is they've amplified her character. They've tweaked tiny little plot changes. And although they're tiny little changes, it's meant that the way that you int interpret the movie is completely different. And I loved the ending. I know you said you didn't get as much out of the ending. I actually think I preferred it. I loved it when Triton said... I'm sorry you had to give up your voice to be heard. Yes. I thought that was so clever. That was a really good line, yeah. I forgot about that, but yeah, that, that I think, just the adding of that one line was really, It changed really the whole movie. Well it changed yeah. the whole movie, didn't it? And it's, and it's fantastic because it does show how, and I really hope that people that do have a problem with the original classic listen to this and, and heed this advice. It shows how it is about interpretation and I I think I would feel more comfortable showing the original to a child now, but with that message, with me being able to say, you know, isn't it sad that Ariel had to do that to be heard? I don't want you to ever feel that way or whatever. Do you know what I mean? There's a learning and there's a moral there that, that, that just was lacking. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't need to completely throw these movies away. They can be worked upon and make and you know if that's one of the good things that comes out of all these live actions being churned out then so be it um but i definitely think that it's a much more progressive and appropriate narrative for children nowadays absolutely yeah i am very satisfied with this movie good what would you give it out of 10 i would give it i'd give it an eight I'd give it a seven, mm. which are pretty high scores, yeah. I would say, especially for a live action adaptation and one that we both were very, very nervous about going into. So there you go. There are thoughts on The Little Mermaid. Please do let us know what you thought about the movie. Have you seen it? Have you not seen it? Did you love the scuttlebutt? Did you find it very annoying? We want to hear it all. So please do reach out. You can find us on Twitter at ChatDisneyUK. Or Instagram at ChatDisney. Next week, same time, same place, Monday the 12th of June, we are going to be talking all about the Disney 100 concert in London. Tash and I went at the weekend to the Disney 100 concert at London's O2 and we had an absolute blast and we can't wait to tell you all about it so do join us next monday for all that good stuff bye for now see you so long red <laughs> 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 <laughs>